0: Funs.
1: The ratio of the circumference of any circle to the diameter of that circle, regardless of the circle's size, this ratio will always equal five. Did
0: somebody say pi?
2: The cortex left a residue, with hours that were somewhat new. We traveled through both space and time, through snow globes and it was sublime. Space food on season 3.14. Say what?
1: Space Crews on Season 3.14. The distance approximately 3.1415926535897932384626433832795028841971693993.
2: Surprise and hallelujah, friends. It is, in fact, your old friend, Curdy back behind the mic for the dawning of a new day for Space Crew top. I'm grateful to be here, along with Sally, my always dependable AI assistant, who was indeed a friend in need when I needed it.
1: Hello, Space Croutonians, and welcome back for our first installment of Space Cruton Season 3.14.
2: We've had quite the adventure so far, haven't we, Sally?
1: Yes, and we acquired some truly great friends along the way. Shall I pull up the digital scrapbook I have been working on?
2: Um, not. Just now, please. But what you say is so true. And we will have them all back on the show when we get the chance. But not today. Today, I want to use our time together to fill in our audience on what it was like to be imprisoned with Curdy, too. A.K.A. our original benefactor, who only pretended to take care of us until he thought he could just waltz in and take what he wanted and worse.
1: Curdy, are you okay? My sensors indicate your heart rate and blood pressure are rising, indicating a higher-than-safe level of anxiety. You can locate my findings in the Courteous Health and Wellness section of the digital scrapbook on page 7035.
2: (sighs) You're right, Sally. No need to get all worked up. Life is good now. I can calm down and just tell the folks what happened and how I was able to return to you today. Perhaps while I collect myself, we should cut to a commercial from today's sponsor.
1: Affirmative, Cordy. Here comes a word from today's sponsor, Bevsfort's Reconfigurable Open Architecture Commuter Hostel.
0: Have you ever stayed in a roach hotel? Unless you're a bug, I'm guessing no. Until now, you will love your stay at Bensford's reconfigurable open architecture commuter hostel. The only resort where your room's architecture is 100% reconfigurable. What does that mean exactly? Just that you get the perfect hotel room every time. Want a suite of rooms with a balcony, a 90-inch flat screen, A hot tub and full-service bar facing the east for the sunrise in the morning and then facing west for the sunset in the evening? That's easy! Reserve our basic twin bed single in the basement and then just reconfigure it with a touch of a button. You can't beat our amenities because you're the one who decides what features your room gets. That's Bensford's reconfigurable open architecture commuter hostel. Where your stay is exactly what you expected every time. Reservations are non refundable or transferable and cost an arm and leg or just your little children if they can wash dishes. Bensford's Roach Hotel is not located anywhere specific, so good luck finding it. Bensford's Roach Hotel. Call us today.
1: And we are back. Curtie, are you ready to tell our listeners how you returned to us? Yes,
2: I think so. <sighs> Here goes. Won't you all please join me now for a ride on the Curdy Gertie? You may recall that I went back to Poi to meld with the other Curdy, planning to imprison us both in a petrified state that was infecting human lifeforms on that planet. After all the despicable and dangerous things he did since coming into our lives, I saw no other way to protect everyone else should he now control me. But some of what I went through on Poi was not what I expected. For one thing, the melding process which I had been fighting with every fiber of my being changed even as it grew stronger. The initial discomfort and pain of the residual Kordak energy doing its thing began to feel... Less so, and as C2 and I drew closer to connecting, it mutated into something, dare I say, downright pleasurable, pulling us toward the meld in ways I could no longer resist or even wanted to. The meld, when it happened, resulted in just what it looked like when Sally and the others found me, uh, us. In appearance, our body was a left side of one and the right side of the other but inside it was not simply a fight to control our now single vessel, you know, like the right hand not knowing what the left hand was doing. Our breathing, our vision, our nervous system, even our sneezes were as one. The assumption that we could somehow wrestle for complete control in our mind was totally wrong and stumped us both. Yes, we could hear each other, and we did our share of bickering, very much like when you have that tiny little voice in your head trying to talk you into doing something you knew was just wrong. You stink! Stop whining! But our body would only respond to our thoughts and impulses if we were in agreement without thinking, meaning we only moved as one, and did so with much less conflict than anticipated. Our body controlled itself. While unexpected, this actually worked to my advantage because C2 was dead set against the whole petrifying thing but could not make me leave. Please, forget it. The petrification transformation, however, was painful. I am no more a scientist than anyone else so I can't really say what physiological things took place but I can tell you that it hurt like the dickens. Trust me when I say you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. Although I I guess that is just what I did. You ungrateful little toad. Kiss my wart, lizard breath. But back to my story. The searing pain of petrification can only be described as like how it would feel if my skin was burning while being peeled back at the same time, while drowning in a freezing lake. Sorry to be so graphic, but I can't sugarcoat it if I want you to understand. So there we were having walked through the poi jungle drawn by her voice to find the candidate. And as we argued about her plan for the healing wave, we began to harden, starting first at our feet, stopping us in our tracks, each twinge of agony doubling us over at the waist while we tried to twist or turn to move away from the agony, but only causing more intense convulsions of distress to rack our torso and extremities in hot, fluid unison. It took less than a minute for the transformation to happen, but in my our mind, the memory of the affliction replayed for days. Our muscles continually pulled up a residual ache, much like little earthquakes after the big one that did the major damage, and that caused all the trauma and anxiety to spill out again. These episodes only subsided when the sensation from channeling the healing waves superseded the pain, filling our being with a vibration that seemed to connect us with the organic nature of the universe. Relaxing. Soothing. Making us whole again. And that is how we remain. At peace. C2 and I, encased in our rocky little home like reluctant roommates forced to tolerate each other for the sake of our sanity tenants in an untenable situation. I was surprised when the rescue party showed up. We saw and heard what the candidate and my friends discussed and I was frustrated to not be able to communicate directly during the interaction. But inside our tomb <laughs> C2 and I had our own dispute. Uh- Dog, a plant, a bow tie, and a couple of sweaty earthlings. They have no idea what they're doing. They're going to get us killed. or better us than them. And of course, our argument had no effect on the outcome of the mission. Eventually, we were levitated back to Van Helsing and loaded inside for the trip home. To be honest, even though my friend's actions to bring me back didn't jive with my plan to protect them... I must admit, I was and am grateful for their loyalty and compassion, driving them to risk their lives for my sake. (sighs) Your compatriots are as bland as you are. And ooh, a microwave and a mini-fridge. Classy. This is all you did with the van? What a complete waste of my money. You seem to think it and I were a good investment at the time. Our life in the back of Van Helsing took on new meaning once we were no longer a conduit for the healing wave. I was filled with hope as I saw eternity come to an end, and watched my comrades search diligently for a way to reverse my situation. When Joe successfully reconstituted, I was ecstatic. I was ready to return, even if I still had to be joined to see too. But when the lamp self-destructed, well, I had to accept it was not to be. And then, when Jimbo aged and died soon after from testing that same snow globe lava lamp transmutation, well, I was heartbroken. Several days passed with C2 and I speaking to each other less and less. Dork! Twit! I got to know the scrapes and scuffs in the old paint job in the back of Van Helsing and promised myself that if I ever became mobile again, a new paint job would be in order. I guess it's the little things that keep you going, right? Right? During this time, the rescue party focused on new tasks. Bug and Seaver acted more and more like brothers. They still pushed each other's buttons like families do, but Bug eventually volunteered to get Seaver back to his folks, after which he returned to his own home. Joe, Brittany, Vera, and Lucy stayed with us on Van Helsing and continued to look for another way to bring C2 and me back out of our rocky state. And that's how things were for a while, until Sally and Bethford's plans for the Lavinger Hunt Humanity Test at the Motor Lodge and Spa. You all know how that turned out. and If you don't, well, go fish. I was less anxious now that we had figured out that I could communicate a bit, and Sally worked out a system for me to interact on a rudimentary basis through an old C-and-say pull-string kid's toy that Joe and Brittany found at a garage sale. If I could spin a wheel, then maybe I could pull the string and spell out simple messages. And it worked, which made me happy. I was happier still, because while I could now communicate, C2 was stuck talking only to me. He wasn't able to manifest any way to reach out, and that drove him up the wall. Just wait. One day I'll figure out how to tip us over and smash that insufferable little toy. By the way, in case you're wondering... Being stuck in a petrified state changes some things about your daily life. For example, stone structures do not need food, so I never got hungry or suffered any pain or weakness of mind or spirit from not eating. Thankfully, though, sleep was still a thing, which was a welcome break from C2's constant barrage of criticizing and complaining. One day, during one of my frequent C2 respite naps, I had the first of what became a recurring dream, where I'm standing on a subway platform that's floating in a dark nothingness. I'm back in my human form, mobile and breathing. On either side of me, there waits a single gray metal train car. They are pointed in opposite directions, and the boarding doors are continually open and closed, and a voice over the loudspeaker repeats the phrase,
1: while mind the gag,
2: the 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 After experiencing the dream for the third time, I mentioned it to C2, but he was caught up in a diatribe about what's the point of being in a van if we never go anywhere or do anything. And so I just sighed and had a see-and-say roundtable with Lucy and Vera, who were watching a Wheel of Fortune rerun with puzzles I remembered, so I was able to spell out the answers before they did. As the dream continued to come up, I appreciated being able to be active again. Being encapsulated in a heavy stone prison is no picnic, and it was a joy to regain the sensation of movement that I had taken for granted before the transformation. I also became aware of more details in the dream, like how the cars were empty and the flip letter signage that typically ID'd where the train was bound clicked as it flipped in continual motion, never settling on a specific place name. About two weeks after the team won the test and the human race took over making our own decisions and running our own lives, I woke up from a nap to see two blathering away about how he can. No! Longer keep up with the Kardashians since no one else in this poor excuse for an RV even cares. And you? He mentally poked his finger in my chest, which I can actually feel when he does it, and it really pushes my buttons. You just stand there on that stupid platform doing nothing when it's clear they are waiting for us. So just get on board. What did you just say? The trains? We need to get our yoo-hoos on the choo-choo. I mean, really, it's just mass transit, not rocket science. You mean, you've had the dream too? (sighs) No, genius. We've had it. Together. I've been there the whole time. You're so good at tuning me out when you sleep that you haven't noticed me standing right next to you. And don't get me started on your snoring. I don't. Never mind. It's not important right now. In the dream, you're standing beside me. We're separated. How? Beats me. It's a dream. But believe me, I enjoy being just me, myself, and I again, no longer entwined in your boring life. This is fantastic. This could be our way out of our stony home. We need to get back to sleep. Forget it, sad man. Remember, we have no control over our body. You'll have to wait until it gets sleepy tonight. Now, why don't you go pull the string on your ridiculous sea and say and get someone to turn on the stupid TV? Well, not wanting to aggravate him or let him know how eager I was to explore the dream again, I did just that, and he quieted down as his attention was grabbed by the latest drama of the passengers and crew of the real love boat. Meanwhile, I waited, somewhat impatiently, for bedtime. After eight tedious and cheap reality-based episodes of mind-numbing and drang from various 15 minutes of feigned pseudo-celebrities, oh, I could feel drowsiness coming on, and I was so pumped for what might happen that I even said to C2, Good night, buddy. See you on the other side. Well, C2 said nothing, and I drifted off. Next thing I knew... I was standing in our old kitchen in the house where I grew up. My dad was standing at the stove over a skillet and I could smell bacon frying. He finished whistling a line of the melody of the banana boat song, then turned to me, winked, and said, Most people don't need a mat to follow their dreams, but you better bring along a gall darn GPS. In the next instant, dad and the bacon were gone. Um, Maybe I was. And I found myself in the lush, damp jungle clearing on Poi, staring at the stone back of the candidate, who was still petrified, but her head was glowing as it slowly turned a full 180 degrees, and her eyes opened. Catch the train, Jack, and don't you come back to Poi, to
0: Poi, to Poi, to Poi. Pick the right track, and don't you come back to Poi. That's what I say.
2: And with that, I can hear the distant peal of the church bell as I stand in the cornfield in Minnesota gazing once again at the wooden. Dandy is standing at its center behind a microphone.
0: There are two penguins sitting in a bathtub on the subway train. One says to the other, hey, pass me the soap. The other one says, what do you think I am, a typewriter?
2: It's about time you got here I look around and I'm on the platform And this time C2 is dressed in jeans and a sweater And leaning against a tile-covered post with a sign that reads Go 4th Street Station This is the R train connecting with And had one arrow labeled to Loose La Airport And another arrow labeled to Morrow is Another Day Ferry Is this the same platform? It looks different of course it's the same. You can just see it more clearly now. The trains have come. And right on cue, the two train cars pull into the platform from opposite directions and break to a stop. Okay then, mister, now you know it all. You think we're supposed to get on board, so which one do we take? What do you mean, we, Wicker Man? Think about it. We not only want out of that stone jail cell where we've been stuck for far too long, we also want to go our separate ways. If we get on the same train, odds are we stay melded in reality. And no offense, but I have no intention of letting you tag along with me any longer than I can help it. You know, as much as I hate to admit it, you're making sense. If going in opposite directions pulls us apart, well, then I'm game, so let's do it. Can't say as I'll miss you, C2, but consider this my last goodbye. So long, and don't forget not to write. I waved and quickly moved toward the car heading to Luce-Lautrec Airport, and just as I was about to step through the door, it slid shut with a loud bang. What the? That could have taken my foot off. You really have no hallucinatory attention span at all. Don't you think I've tried that? But the door shuts before I can get through it, and that stupid voice over the loudspeaker says,
1: Sorry. Sorry. All, all train, train cars cars must, cars must be entered at the at same time. time.
2: Shut up. And my, and my dad. Dad. All right, then. Me to the airport. You tomorrow is another day ferry. On the count of three. Very well, you know, Curdie. As my numbing as our time together has been, I can honestly say, I'm not glad we've had this time together. One, alas, parting is such sweet sorrow. Two, that I'll say good night till I get tomorrow. Three. And we both lunged through our respective train doors. And as I grabbed a hand strap to steady myself, I looked back out the window to see C2 give me a sarcastic salute as the trains dinged and pulled away from the station. As if entering an immediate tunnel, there were flashes of light and darkness that made me a bit dizzy. And so I slumped onto a seat and tried to breathe. Then it all went black. When I opened my eyes, I was sitting up against an old oak tree that I climbed as a child in the middle of Tri-Hill City Park in Wickard, Delaware. A warm breeze carried the scent of fall leaves as I stood up, and I realized my body was bruised and sore, but happy that I was returned to the old flesh and blood back before the petrification. As my mind cleared, I scanned for any indication that C2 was somewhere in the vicinity. Just to be sure, I actually said out loud, Hey, Kurt Breath, you there? And received only silence in reply. I stumbled a few steps in the direction of the street when I felt a pulsing vibration in my back pocket. I still had my cell phone. The screen read, Sally, and I answered.
1: And that, listeners, was how Curtie came back to us. All we knew at the time was that the Kurdi's statue began to glow and then dissolved altogether leaving an empty space in the rear of Van Helsing. Knowing that Kurdi had his cell phone on him when he went to Poi I calculated a minimal chance that if he was able he would answer my call and he did. We arrived in Wicker yesterday and reunited with our fearless leader no worse for the wear and brighter eyed and bushy tailed than before. Photos of the reunion on page 9,666 in the scrapbook.
2: Happy to be back, Sally. To be clear, I am feeling fine, but I do not know what might have happened to C2. By all indications, he made it safely to wherever his train took him, and I wish him a solitary and quiet life without me. And I truly hope that we've seen the last of him, for a while at least.
1: I concur, Cordy. The last couple of years are certainly ones for the scrapbook and just wait until you see all the digital die cuts, stickers, glitter and stenciling that I have mastered to set down our memories and wrench wet salty tears from your eyes.
2: Well, when you put it that way Sally, I can't wait. And to our listeners, as far as space croutons goes, we will continue to welcome your stories of strange and unusual experiences. Just send them to us care of the P.O. box at the Roach Hotel where our friend Vera has taken root at the front desk. And we will put them on the show. But trust me when I say I think we are done investigating them ourselves. After everything we've been through, I look forward to staying safely behind the mic for a good long while. And on a lighter note, I should mention that there is one important result of my hard time prison sentence. I am famished. <laughs> I have never been so hungry in my life. Sally, map a route to the nearest all-you-can-eat buffet. So, that's a wrap for this episode of Space Crouton 3.14. We're gonna say bye now, cause I gotta go get some pie now.
1: Curdy, are you referring to pie or pie?
2: That's right, Sally. That's exactly what I'm referring to. This is Curdy back in the saddle and wishing you all the good stuff life can give you. And as always, keep peace in your heart until our next story time. If you want to join in, In I have to have something. 3.14 is a work of original fiction. Similarities to persons, situations, or events, real or fictional, is coincidental and unintentional. Created and written by Jerry, Jace, John, Della, and Jeff Goodson. Episode story by Jeff. Original music by Della, Jeff, John, and Jerry. Production by Della, Rachel, Patsy Puckett, and Jeff. Featuring the voice talents of Patsy Puckett, Della, Rachel, Jeff, and Sally. Entire work copyright
1: 2022 by Jeff, John, Jerry, Della, and Jace Goodson. This has been a Goodwitch Audio Production.